and welcome to episode 33 of Expertise is Overrated, the podcast that takes the time to answer the questions you didn't know you didn't want the answer to. I'm Sean. And I'm Vib. And neither of us has any clue what we're talking about. Before we move on, let's award the much vaunted Expertise is Overrated tinfoil award. As a reminder, this is an award that we give out at the start of each episode to the person who had the most ridiculous point in last week's episode. I'm not sure this this one even is a point, though, because my point was correct. <laughs> it's it's it's. I think it's probably a first for us. It's that you didn't back your own point, which is almost criminal on this show. It was ridiculous. So in our most recent episode, um, where we were talking about why Star Wars is crap and why that doesn't matter, uh, I made the claim that the plot of... This isn't a contentious claim, it's sort of just repeating stuff that I've read elsewhere on the internet, but the plot of A New Hope is just the plot of Akira Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress. And then after saying that, there was a moment of silence, and then I went, wait, I'm not convinced it was Kurosawa that made that. And I just completely backed out of my point. Which was frustrating. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to claim that, <laughs> I think, because I sort of made a noise of, really, Kurosawa? <laughs> yeah, and as it, as it turns out, uh, Akira Kurosawa did indeed make the 1958 film The Hidden Fortress. So, yeah. yeah. So, so you did not back your own opinion on Akira's overrated. I can't that. believe that this is where we've got to. So in other news, I am looking for a new co-host. Uh, please send applications to... Yeah, um, no, I'd, I'd, I'd like to tender my resignation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's, what's amazing is that you got the tinfoil for not backing yourself in a hot take episode about Star Wars. Um, in a hot take episode about Star Wars, where neither of us committed fully to the hot take as well. Yeah, yeah, that was bad, wasn't it? That was bad, really. Maybe we should both just find replacements for ourselves. Yeah, if anyone is, you know, in possession of a USB microphone and reckons that you could do the job of two idiot co-hosts on uh, a podcast talking about nothing of import, (laughs) let us know. (laughs) Yeah, please. Everything's up and running. All you need to do is just record. Um, No. Um, we're, 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 you know, we're mistakes happen. Mistake, mistakes were made. We'll move on. I'd say um, lessons were learned, but they weren't. No, they never are. <laughs> um, so just very quickly, we've decided that uh, in the interest of keeping the episodes moving and keeping it, the content of episodes relevant to people listening to them, we're going to shelve doing sort of fortnightly feedback on just random text messages that we've received from our friends um we're still very keen to receive feedback though so do keep it coming and what we'll do is we'll save it up and then either do you know short filler episodes or what have you uh where we just go through some of the things that people have said or if we have particularly meaningful bits of feedback that would you know transcend the topics at hand, then we will deal with them and, and, and chat chat about them. But we're not just going to go, we received a text message from Justine that said that Sean's an idiot because I'm fed up of that. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, that's that's 99% of what we were receiving. But I, I feel <laughs> that the feedback now is actually quite constructive and, and people yes. are venturing out into, you know, the realms of their own opinions and, and they're Which worth is... discussing it in, in much more detail. And if you, just last point on the feedback that we weren't going to talk about. If you want to talk about our these episodes, 
Uh, the best place to do so is probably our Discord server. We have a channel there dedicated to talking about these episodes and um, conversations happen there that don't even involve either of us, which is really exciting to see. Um, Indeed. But let's move on. <laughs> moving, moving past Move, that. Moving on from the feedback we weren't going to do. <laughs> so today, um, there's been a lot of press in the last few weeks. Um, at the time that you're listening to this, probably about a, a month or so, six weeks ago, about Amazon's upcoming series uh, entitled The Rings of Power. And I think it's fair to say, would you agree, that Twitter is more or less divided right down the middle as to whether or not this is going to be good or not? Mm. Actually, last time I sort of looked at it, it was very firmly in favour of this is going to be a train wreck. I see, that's interesting, because I've seen lots of people saying that, except for, I'm going to call it content creators, but I'm not sure that's quite the right term. Like, people who actually seem to know what they're talking about, about Tolkien. This might be, this might yeah. be unfair, but I mean, I've seen lots of, lots of people saying that it's going to be a train wreck. Um, and so I think we should... We should we should have a bit of a chat about it, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess this this is partly my my issue with it because I, I got so fed up with off the back of one single trailer, um, the arguments that people started to to get into were, were just completely baffling to me. <laughs> yes, um, there was there was essentially just a whole bunch of people going, "Oh wow, well, this is shit, isn't it?" Um, uh, you know, blah 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 blah. Well, yeah, you know, what's the point? Uh, and then a, a whole other set of arguments about. Um, diversity and equality and, and people getting into all sorts of weird things that I mean I guess it is in keeping with the zeitgeist but you know if 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 your entire criticism of a, of a trailer can come down to there are no black elves then quite frankly go fuck yourself <laughs> I'm glad you said it not me and to be fair we've we've sort of covered that ground in our episode yeah. on the wheel of time as well so rather than rehashing it there just going to point people back to what we said I think in like the closing 10, 15 minutes of that episode. Um, yeah, listen to the it, whole episode, it just, though, it was good. It, it, it just takes away from, from the actual conversation and, and yeah, I think no right. mood to argue with people who are just inherently bad. Um, other than me. You, well, yeah, other than you, but, you know, that's just my punishment in life, apparently. Because yeah. um, what I thought, and, and hopefully agree with me, the, the argument I wanted to get into about that particular trailer Um was that there were actual things that, that worried me that, that, you know, weren't just, oh, the elves don't look the way I expect them to. Yeah, and I think I think this is sort of where the, the sort of general direction I want to steer in when talking about adaptations in general um, is you can... An adaptation can be good even if you don't like the visual style of the adaptation, I think. But there are other things that perhaps matter, well, not perhaps, that do matter a lot more. And things like tone. But yeah, I I have to say, I watched the very first trailer for Rings of Power and I got very excited by it. But then the, all the conversations on Twitter and Reddit and Facebook, I imagine, and all of these other wonderful chat rooms. Do we still, call, do we still talk about chat rooms? Uh, no, I think you've just um, I've just aged our age there. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, all, all of these, all on of these IRC people were talking in, on the forums on, on MSN Messenger. <laughs> I was having a conversation. No, all, all of this various discussion fora 
um, I just got really tired, like you, of, oh, no, how is there uh, such and such? This doesn't look right. Blah, 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 blah. When that, like you, that's not the conversation that I think is interesting. Like, the conversation to me is, are the showrunners, the, the creators, staying true to... Is it is it the message? That's not quite right, but like the the tone, the actual stories that Tolkien was trying to tell. Yeah. Um, and I think the, that, yeah, I sort of agree with you. So, so what exactly do you mean by the the, the sort of visual style of an adaptation? I so, I think. I, what do I mean by the visual style of an adaptation? The visual style is not is a stylistic choice, I guess. So, um, it it wouldn't be for me, but it would be entirely possible to make an animated adaptation of the Lord of the Rings, for example. That well, would it was be, in fact the original adaptation. <laughs> the original adaptation is is it animated, you're absolutely right, but there is a quote perfect adaptation because it fully captures everything that Tolkien was trying to do when he was writing the Lord of the Rings. And I wouldn't like it because I don't like anime. I don't like anime as, as a rule. I just don't, but I would be able to recognize that if it kept the tone, if it kept the themes, if it kept the, the overarching story, etc., the feel then the fact that it's been portrayed in a way that is not for me is fine. And I, I just... Does that make sense? E- yes. It, it's interesting, and, and not to bring this back to another previous episode of ours, but it, it almost feels like you're kind of contradicting your own views on not necessarily stereotypes, but maybe archetypes. I don't think I am. I think you might be. Um, but we'll, <laughs> because, we, no, we might I'm, leave that to another episode that, that you're just an enigma. N- no, there's, um, the, there's a distinction there because an archetype is a, a tool that the audience can use to hang assumptions on. So... Fine. But, but so, so okay, so when it comes to the Rings of Power, what, what, what did you like about it? What, what made you excited? <sighs> I'm trying to, no, trying to remember the trailer. Um, Did you start recording this episode not having recently rewatched the trailer? Oh yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize that we were rewatching the Ring of Fire trailer before uh, we started. You should, you should have checked. Um, I mean, you're also. I also didn't rewatch it. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's a slow motion arrow shot that I didn't like. Um, but okay, I, so, yeah. So, so we're talking that level of, of visual style. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. cinematography as opposed to set design. Okay, yeah. In which case, I agree with you. Uh, and and but but then, okay. So but so why were you excited rather than skeptical as I was? I quite po- quite probably because of how much I liked the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm-hmm. The Peter Jackson trilogy. So the idea of being able to dive back into that world um, to explore bits of it that we haven't seen on on screen before was exciting. But I was excited for The Hobbit. I think this is probably 
was potentially where we differ. I was excited for the Hobbit films. Me too. Oh. Me too, but, but, but the Hobbit films are precisely why the trailer scared me a little bit. And, and the slow motion arrow shot is one of the reasons. Um, the other is that shot of her, uh, one presumes Galadriel, is it, sort of hanging off the cliff edge. It, it just looked a little bit like bad CGI. That was my, my main worrying take home from that trailer. No, that that's fair. Um, That's which, which is much more Hobbit than Lord of the Rings, right? Yes, and I, uh, there's there's all sorts of interesting reasons why the CGI in the Hobbit doesn't work. A lot of it coming down to the film, like the literally the type of film that they they shot it on. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like one of the first experiments with higher frame rates or something. I, it's a it's a frame rate distinct. I, th- I think the Lord of the Rings was shot at twenty, essentially twenty four FPS. Or something like that, and then the Hobbit was shot at maybe double that, or so, so, some something in those ranges, and it just looks weird to the human eye because we're used to watching films at a lower frame rate and slightly yeah. grainier and all of that. It's, it's like uncanny valley territory. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And 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 that's yeah. It's some some elements of the Rings of Power trailer worried me purely from a, from a visual perspective, and I thought that's fair because in the Hobbit it does detract a little bit. Um, but it it does it does. But for me, the problem with the Hobbit, that problem is is overlookable if the core film was films were better. Yeah. So things things like the CGI being bad in the Hobbit are are a problem, and they would always be a problem. But if they had just essentially done what Peter Jackson did with Lord of the Rings, except shot it on that new weird film with crap CGI, you'd go, oh, it's, that's a bit disappointing that the CGI is not as good. But at least the, the, the core film is good, and you can look past bad CGI because people do it all the time. I mean, and I, to be honest with you, I still kind of do for the, with The Hobbit because I love the source material so much. I, I don't hate those films. I'm disappointed by those films. I, 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 I agree with you. I don't have the same level of vitriol for those films that others do. I have a lot of disdain for a studio that looked at the however many pages there are in The Hobbit. It's out of reach, but whatever. It's 250 pages of The Hobbit. And when we can spin that into three films, each about as long as Return of the King. Like that's that was just bad, bad, bad design yeah. decision. And I think that's the the first key concept in this discussion on adaptations, right? Is that so, so? The Hobbit suffers for many reasons. One being that it obviously came after Lord of the Rings, which was let's be under no illusions here a masterpiece. It, it was. Um, I was someone I was listening to recently described the Lord of the Rings films as perfect as a trilogy. Um, which is a very, very strong claim, but I think there might be something to it in terms of hitting exactly the right moment in time and delivering so exceptionally well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, and I think it, it in so far that, well, as much as I know, I, th- I think most of Lord of the Rings fans like it. I mean, I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan. I love it. So, frankly, I know, other, I know some people who go fuck itself. But <laughs> I know of some people who don't like some of the changes made. Sure. Uh, you know, in particular, the 
Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep, um, which I can understand, and Gandalf at Minas Tirith, the the Witch King's are, which again I understand. Oh, that that I hate myself. To be honest, it's, it's the one reason maybe not to watch the extended editions. Is <laughs> that one scene? Yes, I think that's probably fair. But that, like you said, that's only in the extended editions. That never made it on. Yeah. To the cinema screen. Yeah. Um the I always watch the extended editions, but there's definitely some filler in there. Yeah. Um But no, so I, I'm a massive fan of the Lord of the Rings. Film. But, but I think but you you've hit the nail on the head. I mean the Lord of the Rings I think makes sense to have three films because it, it mimics three um the three volumes books. of, of yeah. the Lord oh, of the Rings. Sorry, volumes. And it's it's a long story. The Hobbit is a is a is a beautiful little novel um the hobbit's a kid's book and this this yeah. is this is sort of what i wanted to to come on to the, the tone of the hobbit is a kid's book and to be fair uh an unexpected journey is a is mostly a kid's film like it's a bit of a fun romp you say that there's a lot of really dark themes in there. You know, the, the, there, there are, the but there are dark themes. There are dark themes in The Hobbit as well. We shouldn't shy off. But there are dark themes in in all fairy tales, right? The fact that the themes are dark doesn't stop it being a kids' story. Yeah, sorry, maybe, dwarf, maybe maybe themes was the wrong word to use, but but they they, they the, the, the didn't mean the fact of, that people were beheaded and things like that. The, the, the recap of the battle at Mor. Um, Moria, for example, you're absolutely right. Um, is pretty pretty heavy for a kid's film, but it, it's quite fun. It's quite light hearted. Yeah. It's it's a romp, much to like. To be fair, that that Battle of Moria thing is they just completely made up, as far as I can tell. Um, it must be in an appendix somewhere. Oh, I'm sure there was there was a battle, but I I mean, correct it's me. Not, it's not it's not in Hobbit. Yeah, but I I also don't know that um, Thrall was was beheaded by the Norc. That that's entirely possible that he was. <laughs> I, I I I would I would have to look it up. Um, but but no, no, so, so I so I think the Hob- the Hobbit is 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 a lesson in in a sin of what not to do with adaptations is is to go too far off of what should have been the real source material. Right, I, I like the fact that they went into the White Council because I think that that's um, an important appendix in, in the greater story of, of the War of the Ring. Yes, it directly leads into to, to sort of the events of the Lord of the Ring. So I, I don't mind that they included that in the films. And the the opening scene of Battle of the Five Armies, the Galadriel casting out the Necromancer, is really good. And you sit, you see, um, Elrond and Saruman. And Gandalf absolutely cutting loose, which is great. Um, and then Gladriel turns up and absolutely shits on everyone, which is amazing. Absolutely. But, I think that's actually quite clever, right? Because I, I, I think it's fair to say that a lot of people really wanted to see uh, characters like Gladriel and Elrond let loose, as you say. But it, that, that doesn't work if you make them fight orcs, because 
the, the power levels there are so imbalanced that then you, you sort of look at Thorin fighting orcs. You're like, well, this guy's a bit of shit. <laughs> well, it's, it's really, yeah, it would be really hard to do Elrond fights orcs. And you get it a little bit in An Unexpected Journey where he's part of the uh, elven cavalry group that drive off the wire yeah. riders. But you never, re- you don't realize it's Elrond. But then you're exactly right. You see him and and Saruman and Galadriel fighting ghosts, essentially, and you know, dicking on them. And that you're absolutely right. That serves to establish that these are beings that operate just on a completely different level of power, even from Thorin or Dwalin or any of the sort of dwarves that we've been with, who were like, "Hey, these guys can handle themselves." So I think that's right. Yeah, for sure. One one thing I always like to compare sort of in my head is, um, you know, in, in the two towers when the Rohirrim ambushed the Urukai. Yes. You know, the, the, those are, I mean, it's, it's a relatively small force of orcs and Urukai, but, and, and they're ambushed at night and still two Rohirrim die. Whereas it, what, what looks like maybe 10 elves on some horses uh, take care of an entire orc warg hunting pack with yes. no casualties. <laughs> yes. So, so yes. You, you can just see that there is a massive gulf in 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 talent there and i, I do really like that that's a good scene i find but but the problem the problem that the hobbit suffers from is that in order to extend it to three films they just end up shoehorning in a load of essentially unnecessary filler oh so much crap i mean you mentioned battle of the five armies most of that film is unnecessary yes because the Battle of Five Armies is a chapter. Well, it's hardly in the book, yeah, because because um, Bill Bill gets knocked out unconscious. <laughs> so I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which which they sort of pay homage to, like right at the end. See, like Bill gets knocked out. It's like, yeah, but that actually happens right at the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, he just comes to at the end. Um, I don't. There's a. There's, there are so many reasons why the Hobbit films don't work, but part I, I think it's fair to say that the core reason why they don't work, as compared with the Lord of the Rings, is there is less fidelity to the source material. Simply, yeah, and and there's I mean there's an argument to be made that obviously Peter Jackson had far less time to work on the Hobbit than he did Lord of the Rings, so we have to kind of take that into account. Yeah, but he also didn't want to make the films to. To begin with, yes. Certainly so, not three of them. Certainly not three of them. Um, and I heard a rumor that they didn't do any pre-production on the Hobbit films. They just went straight to straight to filming. Which, if if yeah. true, it, it, it was a it was a it was a shit show. And and, yeah. and I think you're right to blame the studios more than anything else. I um, think I think I am. I think I feel comfortable in saying that that was New Line. Yeah, I, I think we can blame them, no problem. Oh, good, some sort of siren is going off in the background. Fantastic. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> so uh, have fun listening to that, dear listeners. Um, no, but so so bringing it back to then the Rings of Power, what worries me a little bit, right, is, as, as we've talked about, is the source material. Because there's not a lot to go on. No, especially because they don't have the rights to any of the stuff that would be... You know, easily translatable, so they don't have rights to the Silmarillion, for example. Which, if you're going to set a TV show in like the Second Age, 
yeah. you know, or first age even. I, I actually don't remember what, what age they're setting. Ring of Power is second age. Rings of yeah. Power is second age. It's Yeah, because it's like Numenor and, and all it's that. It's Numenor and Anatar and Celebrimbor and yeah. the forging of the Rings of Power. Yeah. Um, Which, I mean, you can see why, why they do that. You know, it's, 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 again, leading up to Lord of the Rings, so I think that, that, that will resonate well with people. Um, <laughs> Celebrimbor is very popular in the video game series, you know, Shadow of War and stuff. Yeah, and it is... For all that we've got, you know, young Elrond, uh, young Galadriel, Celebrimbor, Anatar, Arpharazon, all of these big characters, it's still more grounded than the insanity of the first age. Oh, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Which would be but, much but, but, easier but it, but it to translate. But it creates problems, right? Because you're talking about young Elrond, young Galadriel, but these people, they're not young in the second age by Sorry, any stretch of the imagination. Right? And, but I think this is, this is so, sort of where a potential concern starts to build you know where are they going with this why and why did they decide that they had to pick a character that actually exists with a fully written backstory in the canon you mean galadriel yeah why not just make up an elf and and, you know because if they made up someone the internet would be screaming about the fact that they've invented a character when there is the whole back canon of Tolkien that they could have plucked a character from. Yeah, but then there's no winning, right? Well, no, that that that's sort of the point that I'm making. There, there is yeah. no, there's no winning because if you pick Galadriel or Elrond, then the problem that you have is that people are going to complain that your adaptation isn't true to the source material, and if you pick. Some, if you create someone, the people are going to complain that you've created someone rather than picking someone from the source material. So you can't win. So you just have to pick the people that you think are that able to tell the best story. See, I, I don't know about that. So, so using again the the example of Shadow of War and Shadow of Mordor, right? Video games with the Lord of the Rings license, um, set in the, I guess that is the Third Age. Yeah, it must be the third age. I think so. Yeah, because Sauron is um is gone, um, and that that's introducing a brand new character, sort of merging him with with an existing character, or or, or rather their ghost, which I in, a, in a way that is just just makes no sense. Yeah, but but I think I I, I want to say that landed quite well. I mean, I don't have any figures uh, to hand because you know, <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Um, I think there were I think there were successful games uh, from a selling video games standpoint. I don't know how they're considered by sort of Tolkien fans, if you like, as opposed to just video game fans. They're probably more forgiving in that context. I mean, I know I am, right? Because you get to run around in the world and kill some orcs, which true, true, you'll want to do. And you are also just playing Aragorn. That how can you say that? Well, no, you're you're sorry, you're you're not obviously. Talion is not Aragorn. There's no, I'm not suggesting that he is, but he's a a ranger who uses a, a two handed sword and a bow and runs around killing the shit out of orcs. It is a, and he looks like Viggo Mortensen's Aragorn. Like it's, there's some deliberate design decisions been made there, I think. Uh, perhaps, but I mean, it, the generic Gondorian sure, uh, sure has sure. a type. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's true. I'm just sort of po- poking at this uh, at the idea. 
you're you're right though. It's, they're obviously not exactly the same. No, but that, so that but the, my my point is that that's an adaptation where they they took a, a serious creative license and were like, okay, we're going to set it here and we're just going to make some shit up in it. And I think it works, even if you're trying to sort of canonize that. But it, it works because they they pick the time period where it doesn't really matter what happens. You, you know, can't screw around messing around canon, with rings yeah. and stuff. It it doesn't really fundamentally affect the story. Whereas touching a character like Galadriel, that's risky. <laughs> True. Didn't and this is spoilers for Shadow of War, but didn't they make Isildur one of the Ringwraiths in Shadow of War? Ooh, did they? I think they did. I think they made Isildur and Helm Hammerhand Ringwraiths. Because you you fight the Ringwraiths in Shadow of War. I don't recall. If so, no, that no, is amazing. Nor do I. <laughs> But I mean that's directly contrary to the the canon. But I think I think you're right. I think there is people you could be more forgiving of those changes in a in a in a video game, but also in something that's like, look, we're not at this makes no attempt to be true to the canon. Maybe it could have happened, but it doesn't impact the canon in any way. And they're not adapting something. They didn't take a story like The Hobbit or The Silmarillion or The Lord of the Rings and go, here's our take on it. They went, thanks for building the world, J.R.R. Uh, we're going to go off and piss around in this corner of it. Nothing that we do is going to impact anything else. So exactly, I think, yeah. I think that's that's different from an adaptation like The Rings of Power. It, it is. But, but as, as you say, then, if, 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 for example, they did if they say, oh, it's sold as a ring wraith, then, then, then they've, they've fucked something up. And, and that's yeah, the danger that the Rings of Power has as well, is that you know, they, they can take a Ladriel and all of a sudden create this gigantic plot hole. <laughs> There's also a cynical reason for why they'd pick Galadriel. Go on. I don't think that this is the reason, but we are in an era where female leads are doing well in a, in on screen. Yes. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I think it's actually that's a good thing. Um, but that's another reason why you'd pick Galadriel rather than Elrond or Elros, for example, to be your yeah. lead. And and if you're going to pick a female character in the greater Tolkien area, then Galadriel's kind of all you've got. <laughs> yeah. If you're doing the second age, you have to pick Galadriel, basically. I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose you could do Arwen. Or you go big and you go for Luthien, but... Well, Luthien's... Yeah, then, the problem, then, the problem then, is Luthien's then, first age. Yeah, Luthien's first age, very true. Plus oh. there'd be riots in the streets, I think. Okay, try, imagine trying to cast Luthien. Yeah, can't be done. Um, yeah, so I think there's there's a lot... There's a lot pointing in favour in favor of picking Galadriel as your sort of main character. <laughs> I think we might we might need to come back to the Rings of Power once we work out perhaps what makes other adaptations good or bad, so we can then uh, apply that to Rings of Power and see what we think is going to happen. Plus, we we should really reserve judgment until Rings of Power is actually out. As opposed, this is to this predicting. is also the point, right? You can make a prediction, but you you can't judge it until you've seen it. I know it's no. it's surprisingly sober um, reasoning for this show, but. Uh... Yeah, I'm just I'm fed up seeing people screaming about it on the internet. Yeah. Oh my no, god, but... they made Galadriel into a warrior. Go and read the books. 
yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, so the comparison Lord of the Rings versus Hobbit, I think, is the easy one, and I, I, I strongly suspect that a series that's guilty of kind of doing what the Hobbit did is uh, one that we have covered on the show previously, which is Harry Potter. Yes. Uh, apologies for the ice cream van. Wow, we are professionals. <laughs> Harry Potter, though. Harry Potter. I think that's a really good uh, one to call out. Um, because say what you like about the Harry Potter films, and I like them all. Ugh. Ish. I'm not sure like is the right word. But the first ones are so much But The first two or three are so much better than the later ones, I think. Yeah. Something changes in the way that they do the adaptations. Yeah. It's a completely mixed bag. So, I mean, the first three almost follow the story line for line. Almost. almost, It kind of works out, right? Because the books are short enough. Yes. And then you get this weird situation where they decided that Deathly Hallows should be two films. And then the longest books that are in the middle, which are arguably the most interesting, um, just in get terms of character squeezed. development and whatnot. That, that, yeah, they just. I mean, Goblet of Fire is a complete travesty of a film. That's an absolute train wreck of a film. They're like, here's the four things that need to happen, and we'll just string them together. You genuinely jump... This can't actually be true, but it feels like you genuinely jump from Triwizard Tournament, Yule Ball, Triwizard Tournament, Triwizard Tournament, Graveyard? Pretty much, yeah. Non-stop. No chance to catch your breath. No chance to explore what's actually happening to these characters. It's just... They're they're, they're just so bad. It, it does, yeah, it doesn't work in Goblet of Fire for that reason. Order of the Phoenix, I think they got a bit lucky because um, a lot of that book is you, you sit in Harry's head and he's going through some wild puberty. That he has, he goes through the most puberty, <laughs> all the all the puberty. <laughs> um, so, so I think in terms of adaptation of of that book, they they got away with it. And then they, they lose the plot, in my opinion, in Half-Blood Prince, where they just introduce so much random nonsense that's completely unnecessary. Like, what is that whole thing about with the, the, the opening thing in the cafe where he's hitting on this random muggle? That was so good. I See, I actually think, right, that, put that scene in a different film, and I love that scene. Well, because Be- it's Daniel Radcliffe being awkward. It's Daniel Radcliffe being an awkward... What must he have been? 16, 17-year-old teenage boy having a conversation with a teenage girl where he knows that he's essentially in with a chance and he doesn't have a fucking clue what to do. And that is excellent. I love that. But it just doesn't fit in the rest of the film. (laughs) It doesn't fit in the rest of the film. It also just does not fit in Harry's... It also doesn't fit Harry. I get that. I get that. But it, you you can make that scene work as Harry Potter trying to be normal. You, no, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not going <laughs> I'm not going to argue that you could never make that scene work, but I'm just saying it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't. No, you're absolutely right. It doesn't work. And and um, what what's what's worse about it is that the way that the book is written that opening few um the opening few chapters about Dumbledore coming and and the interaction he's got with the Dursleys and all that. 
that's f- fantastic. And yes. then they were like, mm, let's not do any of that and instead have this bizarre thing in a tube station cafe. There are also no cafes like that in any tube station <laughs> in London. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and, and Dumbledore, the sort of, you know, one of the key people, you know, one of the key wizarding figures just, just blatantly almost disregarding the statute of secrecy. Pop. Yeah, it's just... It's just, it's just why? <laughs> of all the great source material you have to hand, why did you decide to do that, you know? Yeah. But I think you're right. With Harry Potter specifically, I think you're right that the first three work because they stick so closely to the text. And where they deviate from the text, they deviate essentially for necessity of different medium. Yes. Right, because they recognised what they had in the text, and say, so, you know, I know there's a lot of debate now about how good um, the writing of Harry Potter actually is, but those are solid books that it's very easy to make a film out of because the books are so cinematic. Yeah. Um, although, so I was asking, I asked my wife about Harry Potter earlier, and she said that she thought one of the reasons why the first three films are the best is that the first three books are the best. Which mm. might help. Because they're shorter, they're self-contained stories, you don't have much of the extraneous sort of what's going on in the wizard world, wizarding world. But also, you still have the, the Harry Potter's wide-eyed excitement at this new world, which starts to drop off after about book five, where he just becomes this angry, jaded teenage boy. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a fair assessment. I I don't necessarily think I I see it that way, but but I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, Essentially, the the sort of idea is if you're not really invested in Harry's story, come book four and five, then yeah, yeah, that makes (laughs) because that that wide-eyed nature goes away as you get 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 off the train because that's all we're that's all we're doing from here. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the films as well, I feel they they just lose the plot more and more, and yeah. it's it's really hard to understand why. I mean, the the biggest crime, and I will never ever get over this. It's almost on par with Gandalf's staff breaking. <laughs> is 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 the final showdown between Harry and Voldemort? Oh, I hate that. It just it just it just really emphasizes that the filmmakers had no clue what that whole relationship that yes. whole fight was about they didn't they didn't understand the central message of the book i think cuz the 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 ending for voldemort is meant to be mundane mundane exactly that's the exactly the right in, word. The, in the book you know that's exactly the word um he's just he's just a nobody at the end of the day yeah and and, and that's you know, say what you will about J.K. Rowling, but I think that line for me will always take it like his body hit the ground with a mundane finality. Yes, that's that's how she says it, and I think that's that's so elegant because all that happens is they cast they cast one spell at each other. They have a bit of Voldemort's chat. just there, and, and and critically, his body's just there. Yeah, because you know, he's not special. He's not that special exactly. at the end of the day. Um, Whereas in the film, they're, they're fighting each other in the courtyard, having slapped each other a, a bit. And and then he disintegrates for whatever reason. <laughs> he disintegrates, but they a huge problem that 
you have in Harry Potter is that the they change the way the magic works from film to film. So you get to a stage where like all wizards are capable of doing that. I forget what it's called, Uh, where their wands connect and they like shoot lava at each other. I just no, no, that that's, that makes, that's a Harry and Voldemort thing because they're special. And yeah, but this is an interesting one though, because I've often thought about this. So, So the ones connecting, yeah, that's, that's shit. But I, I, in terms of translating the jewels and the kind of magical fights that occur in the books to the screen, I think but, I think they had to do something along those lines. Otherwise Order of the Phoenix work. does it well, though. The duel in the Department of Ministries in Order of Phoenix, duels in Order of the Phoenix work well, and they don't have it there. They don't have the connecting so much, but they still just have a very basic... You know, they're, they're shooting bits of light at each other and deflecting bits of light. Yeah, and I think that's fine as a way of doing it. The only other way you can do it is like the Dumbledore and Voldemort duel in uh, in the same film. Yeah. And that's just, that must have just taken so much time to animate. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it, I love that duel in the books. And in the, in the films, it's, it's, a, it's a little weird. It's almost over the top. Yeah, it I mean, is also partly because the way Michael Gambon acts Dumbledore um, I don't. Is, is not how I would see him. But is it heresy to say I don't like Michael Gambon's Dumbledore? No, because I agree with you. I mean, I mean, there's the Goblet of Fire meme, and I think that I mean, example that's, that's, that's directing, that's not acting. But Gam- <laughs> Gambon is portraying that as he was told to. Um, that's that's script sure, writing or directing. Sure. But but also yeah. And the problem is we had Richard Harris for two films. Yeah, who was uh, who I think was a better Dumbledore, but but he could never have done Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. Half Blood Prince Dumbledore. Exactly. I mean, Dumbledore must be a very hard character to translate to screen, right? Because he's an old man who's who's really not old in any meaningful metric. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like physically and in terms of skill. So, so the only you person know, who I think you could have realistically got to do it was Ian McKellen. But he's just playing Gandalf. Well, you're playing. You also um, he because he, he he went on record right to say that he would not have taken the role of Dumbledore. Did he? I didn't know. Harris. I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know. That. I that, really that should have fact checked this. So this is this is maybe that, massive tin grounds. But because Richard Harris was an outspoken homophobe. <laughs> Uh, feels of, of a generation where that could be true. Yeah, Ian McKellen was like, "No, I'm not having that." Um, but also in part, like, oh, I, I wouldn't want to go against Richard Harris's interpretation and, and and legacy when it comes to Dumbledore by then taking over as a gay man. It, th- there's a whole thing there, which I really yeah, hope that... I haven't made up because that that would be wild. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, looks like it was. Looks like it was a lie. Off, off a very, very quick Google. Looks like it was a lie, but it maybe wasn't. Um, well, we shall. We shall maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> McCallum. But you, even if you don't, if you never have Richard Harris, you, it's such a hard role to portray. I think Jude Law is actually doing it really well in the Fantastic Beasts films. Um, yeah, but I mean, but they, they have a whole other bunch of problems that we're not <laughs> going to go into today. Other than you can't adapt a textbook into five films. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> way to ruin a universe. That maybe that should be an episode. Yeah, how to ruin a universe? Yeah, they're just not. They're just not good. Um, no, but but I think yeah, late versus early Harry Potter is is a very interesting lesson in in how to adapt and and not how to not adapt. Yeah. Part and of both it, of those have the source material, right? That's the weird thing about it. Yeah, because they're not like our next example. I don't think. Which is Game of Thrones. But just yeah. to fin- finish off on Harry Potter. Like, if you ha- if people are watching, going to the cinema to watch a Harry Potter film, they're going to watch J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter put on screen. They're not going to watch... Chris Columbus or whoever it is, their interpretation of Harry Potter, they want as close to what they have in their head as possible put on screen. Yeah. I think. And those books are, the dialogue is snappy. The dialogue is almost written like it could go straight into a screenplay. So yeah. just just do that. Yeah, and, and just... And, and this is, I think, why Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings was such a masterpiece because there there was such obvious care and dedication yes. and and you know love of the source material. Um, that kind of just goes out the window with the, with the Harry Potter ones. I think that's right, and with the Hobbit, and with the Hobbit, like even basic things. And this this actually isn't, I think, the third. Uh, third Harry Potter film, like you know, you see some witches and wizards just doing wandless magic. Like that's that's like a big thing, <laughs> you know. That that's, that doesn't really ever happen yeah. in the books where you see wizards and, and witches do that. And it's just it's just like one of those little things, you know. Yeah, un- understand what you're adapting. Yeah, yeah. So so Harry Potter, it's a, it's a real shame because I absolutely adore those books. Um, but when it comes to those films, I I, I do struggle. Yeah, uh, a bit. So do I. So do I. So yes, G- Game of Thrones. Um, this is an interesting one because it's another series that starts really well and are and running... even even better. Uh, I was going to say are are, are <laughs> if if we step outside the truth that the Game of Thrones season eight was flawless and accept the internet meme that it was not. Um, Okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna go with the internet on this. Okay, we're gonna go with the internet on this because the, the internet Bro. is where we put 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 out this podcast. Um, so in order <laughs> to get traction, we have to agree with them sometimes. Um, but it it does dip, and it dips in theory after they lose the books into in terms of timing. But the interesting thing for me is that it deviates from the books a lot quicker than that in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So there's something interesting there where it, it was all right deviating from the books if it still had sort of a, a the, the books as a star to sail by. But once it lost that, its quality went off the rails so quickly. So when you say deviate from the books, I, I'm assuming you mean in terms of the bigger picture. I think so, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, in terms of sort of the details and stuff, like various characters, not, I mean, because the, the, the Song of Ice and Fire is gigantic. Right? Yes. So, so there's no way you can adapt that without 
making no, you, you, you'd have to cut you have to make sacrifices I'm never going to castigate an adaptation for making sacrifices and changes for the sake of getting something on the screen that's just what that's just how it has to happen but I think if you're going to make those changes and sacrifices, you have to understand the work that you're adapting well enough to know what the knock-on impact of your changes are. And actually, I know we're talking about Game of Thrones, but another adaptation that springs to mind as I talk about this is, did you ever see the Aragon film? No, no. You you lucky, lucky man. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I hear. It was, it was bad, and it was bad for a whole bunch of reasons. Um... But a big one in my mind was that the creators didn't seem to understand the source material well enough to make changes and understand what the impact, knock-on impact of those changes would be. Is that not the same line of reasoning as, as with the Golden Compass? I think it is. I think it is exactly yeah. the same line of reasoning with the Golden Compass, actually. That's a really good example. Like, like two lessons in, in how not to adapt source material. Yes, um, yes. And also, you know... So much so that those those franchises didn't ever really get. They died. Those adaptations killed those franchises. Yeah. And other than you know, I think we were really lucky to get a BBC adaptation of uh, His Dark Materials. Oh yeah, absolutely. They 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 just looked that went. We have to rescue this. (laughs) We've got to do something. And I'd quite like someone to try and pick up the inheritance cycle and and have another run at it because it's better than any fourteen-year-old has any right to write. Um, but. Yeah, um, but so so Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I mean, they, they they must have gone into that say, thinking, okay, we have source material, we have George R. 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 Martin on side. Yes, he's going to tell us, presumably, roughly how it's supposed to end. He did. He, he allegedly he told the showrunners the the the, the core ending points that they had to put in. Yeah. Um. I'm not entirely. I don't know that we've ever had confirmed exactly what those are, those core ending points. Um, yeah, and, and this is an example where the adaptation may, in fact, change um, what is to come. I don't know. It's I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I mean, I've, heard, I've certainly heard that suggested that one of the reasons why the Winds of Winter is taking so long is that Martin is afraid to write the ending that he told Benioff and Wise. Because of how badly it was received, yeah. And if that's true, absolutely not. Write your fucking ending, you coward. Um, but so, so, so I think the interesting with with the Game of Thrones television series is that they, as you know, they hired DB Weiss and David Benioff um, because yes. they are absolutely phenomenal when it comes to making adaptations. What had, what had they done before? Everyone always says this. What have I forgotten that they've made? I haven't got a clue. I, I'm literally. I'm just echoing. You're just. Do, you're just doing what I do and echoing what you've read. Yes. Good, good, good. Um, but I'm going to back myself. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but no. But but by all accounts, they were absolutely phenomenal yes. um, at, at adapting. And to be fair to them, they did a phenomenal job uh, a job of adapting a Song of Ice and Fire into Game of Thrones because that TV show was amazing. It's and then the really, Sword ran out. <laughs> yes, it's really good up till the Red Wedding. Yeah. They start but, running or, out of some character beyond. story arcs, and and they have to think about how to write characters, and you yeah. can tell that they have no clue how to do that. Yeah, 
yes, that you you can tell that they were writing. I say the red wedding. I think it's probably the purple wedding, but like they were writing for that end point, basically. And they didn't. They were basically, I think, hoping that George was going to keep writing beyond. That. I, I've often wondered that. Do you, do you think that was sort of the original intent when they decided to make the TV show? Is that by the time they catch up, George will have written yes. the books? That was that was almost. I, I've from. I think it's the Nottercast. Um, one of the Game of Thrones podcasts, I'm sure, has said that that it was that it was essentially agreed that they'd have at least the Winds of Winter by the time they were um, they were making the, the final few seasons, right, uh, right? And then they just didn't because <laughs> George Martin has decided that he just doesn't like his fans, which, to be fair, is really funny. <laughs> He's turned into a proper asshole. Uh, I'm sure you're. I'm sure. uh, I'm sure he always was, but Uh, and I've always thought of of him as the kind of guy who who would write a lot and then just not bother finishing it because he's like, ah, well, you know, sometimes you don't get what you want. (laughs) I was. Have you seen? Have you read that interview where he basically goes, "Yeah, sucks to be you, lot. I'm not. I'm not finishing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's just the way he rolls, right? It's so funny. Um. Yeah, it's it's so strange though with Game of Thrones. Because even even if you get into seasons seven, six, seven, and eight, there are you can see that there's still the the kernels of a really good adaptation there. Because there are it dotted amongst those epi- those series, there are phenomenally good individual episodes. Right? So Night of the Seven Kingdoms, the episode before the Battle of Winterfell, is one of my favourite Game of Thrones episodes ever. It's so good. And that, that also... That's f- against the... Um, against the others. Against the others, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that, that is a good episode. Because that that focuses so much on the characters, right? Exactly, the, the, exactly. It's not, it's not about the spectacle. And I think the problem that Game of Thrones had was every time it became about the spectacle in the later series, they forgot everything else that they were doing. But but the, that episode almost is is the undoing of so much of that season because it is so good. And then, well, then they have the Battle of Winterfell, which is maybe one of the worst episodes of TV ever made. It's really really bad. I don't know. I never didn't actually see it. It was too dark. Couldn't see it. Well, yeah, <laughs> one has to assume it was a terrible TV. Um, and, and then they they throw so much of that character building out the window again. Yes. That's the real... They, they do Night of the Seven Kingdoms, and then you have the Battle of Winterfell, which happens. And then they do whatever the episode after Winterfell was called, where it's like Night of the Seven Kingdoms never happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of that character development, exactly as you say, just goes straight out the window. Yeah. But but, but the crime of Game of Thrones is purely on Weiss and Benioff, because they're just arseholes. Yes. They, they 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 were too greedy to not take up whatever was it Netflix first or Disney first that that signed them for loads of money to do something which has never got off the ground because they fucking suck Disney. at their jobs. It was uh, Star Wars. They were going up, going off to write Star Wars for Disney. Yeah, which was which was never you know which never got yeah. off the ground because of how badly received season eight was. Yeah, but and and they just have no original ideas. That they're just shit writers. I think that might um, also be true. 
and and ultimately it's on them that that a there was only eight seasons they were offered more they were offered more yeah. by hbo hbo said do you want to make 10 because this is this thing is printing us money and they and said no, no we also can... said yeah you need at least nine uh, yeah presumably based on based on where they were yeah and they went nah it's all right we'll, we want the disney money thanks so, so again, a, a real lesson in how not to adapt any source material or just make any kind of TV show. That's just that's just bad. <laughs> I think that's I think that's right. <laughs> it's, it's, Game of Thrones wasn't bad because it was a bad adaptation. It was bad because it was just a bad TV show. I like that. Um, it, it's <laughs> interesting, isn't it? So so insofar that the Hobbit takes the Hobbit is a bad film. Yeah, and it it takes you know a very a finished, rounded, which is unusual in the world of Tolkien. It's actually a finished story. They take that and, and do way too much with it, uh, way too much fluff, to, to then Game of Thrones where they ran out of source material and just fucking ruined, ruined well, it. The, the problem with Game of Thrones, and I feel like we can have this conversation because we're outside of our contention that season eight is perfect. The problem with Game of Thrones was it did, like, it's like you're saying, it did the opposite of what The Hobbit did. It had its core plot points, so Battle of Winterfell, Mad Queen Danny, King Bran, basically. I'm assuming are the uh, were the core plot points they wanted to hit in season eight. Presumably, yeah. And then so they went, okay, so we've got to do the Battle of Winterfell. So let's have that about episode three, shall we say? So we'll just do two episodes before then, and then we've got to do Mad Queen Danny. So we'll do that two episodes after that, and then we'll do King Bran. The episode after that. And there was no question of how do we get from A to B to C? Yeah. They're just they're just plot points that just happen and there's the, the, you they don't do any work to build up Mad Queen Danny. Or well, they do, but they did it in seasons th- two, three, and four when Martin was doing the groundwork for them. And and the beauty of that, because presumably that's also where the books Ted, I, I think that's where the books are going. Yeah, and it, it's a favorite theory that a lot of people are like. Well, she is, she is crazy, or you know. Um, and then I think that's it's fine. I think they, I, they, they just, they just don't bother with it. No. Like, oh yeah, we forgot we had to make her crazy. So let's just, you know, we forgot we had to make her crazy because she was a lot of people's favorite character. So doing her going crazy on screen was going to be pretty unpopular. So we didn't do it. And then her turn doesn't make sense. Because... Well, they, they try they try to make it work, right? But just having her outside of um, King's Landing on her dragon, it. But she just snapped. Looking at Cersei supposedly, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, yeah. Now we believe that she's going mad. But she, yeah, no. she, it's almost like she has a dissociative att- episode or something. It's like it's so bad. It's so, it's so badly done. <laughs> it's so so bad. So I mean, there's there's, there's really. Don't make adaptations like make good films <laughs> and make, make good, good TV. Yeah, um, it, it's 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 quite something, isn't it? A real lesson. Yeah. A real lesson. Um, one that we've featured on this show previously. Yes. The reason I bring it up now is because I've actually read um, Eye of the World now, so the first book of A Wheel of Time. Amazing. I say I've read it. I, I was had it had it read to you by the dulcet tones of Rosamund Pike. And I mean, 
I defy anyone to say that that's an, a, a worse way of having consumed that that particular form. <laughs> of media. Um, so yes, yeah, so having now read that book and having obviously seen season one of the Wheel of Time TV show, yeah, I sort of know where you're coming from, but I actually still think that that first season is is not an awful adaptation. I don't think it's an awful adaptation. I think that there are specific points. Specific changes were made, and this comes back. I think this is my Game of Thrones and Aragon point. There are specific changes made in the Wheel of Time TV show that are going to make their adaptation of, I don't know, Crossroads of Twilight or Tires of Midnight really difficult. No, they essentially just have to cure Argomar off screen, for example. I think they kind of. Yeah, he's not dead. The, you you, you fix that by Egomar not being dead. You, you, there, there are there are other ones that are harder, like the assertion that Moiraine is the only Aes Sedai strong enough to challenge Siwan, which just doesn't make sense. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's quite funny. All, all all of the changes are, I think, fixable, but they're going to have to expend time fixing the changes, or they're going to end up in the Game of Thrones problem where they've made so many little changes. That they can't get to the end point, well, so they either have to change the ending. See, what I'm wondering because I mean, I've heard, um, including from 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 you, that, uh, and I remember saying this to you, it's like, okay, uh, I, I'm struggling with this book a little bit because you're you're kind of at the climax at the end of book one, right? And you, you wonder yes. how how does it get any worse than this? And I think the the thinking is that it doesn't really. It's just many many books of you know, there is still something coming. <laughs> the Dark One is still getting loose. Yeah, it's like, the, the Dark One, something, something, the Dark One. Something, something, um, Dark One. And, and I wonder if the TV show made some of the changes it did because they were like, well, we can't we can't make 20 seasons of this. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I think we'll get four or five seasons of yeah, Wheel so of like, Time, let's, to be honest let's with Let's expedite me. some of the things that happen, right? right? I, I, I suspect might be some of their well, logic. And to be fair, what they what, part of what they do is they change who the big bad is. Right, so you get this rotating. It's almost a rotating cycle. It's quite clever, um, it, with the whole wheel uh, imagery. But you go sort of. I'm not going to get the order right, but you get the dark one, and then it's the Xianshan who you see at the end of the TV series, and then it's someone else, and then it's someone else, and then it's back to the dark one, and then it's someone else, and then it's someone else, and then it's back to the dark one, and it's yeah. sort of. Every every one is an escalation in scale of the one before, and it all keeps coming back to the dark one as like the source of all woe. So it's, it's it's fairly well done. Yeah, but and I, I think maybe there's also a repetitive. reason there why why they did Matt the way they did because you know they they they, they invested time in establishing his character. Yeah, um, and and they've they've left him kind of bad perhaps tainted and I, and I think in the TV show them sort of going back and trying to fix him is yeah perfectly the, acceptable the TV show TV show is going to say wow turns out the dagger from Shadow of Log Earth was way nastier than Moiraine realized it is yeah and Matt wasn't cured there yeah. I, fi- I fixed it and I've pulled Moiraine down a peg or two which needs to happen for the rest of the series to work absolutely yeah but I think I think I agree with you. I think other than the last episode, I think it is a pretty good adaptation. 
even though it makes massive changes from the plots of the book because it stays true to the core themes of the book. Uh, I think. Yeah. And having done it in reverse, obviously, um, I, I found that there was absolutely no clash because, you know, it always happens when you, when yes. you see something first, right? Then you, you picture those characters in the books as well. And, and that did not bother me at all. I think that's true. I think that's true. I th- I've not done... Uh, is that true? No, I did Game of Thrones that way. I did the f- season one before you started reading them. I saw the first few episodes of Game of Thrones and then read the book before the end of season one. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it meant that when I was reading the books, I had these pictures of Ned and John and Arya and Rob and T- Tyrion and all of them in my head. So I don't get, I don't get, in the same way, I don't get that like dissociation of, oh, that's not how I imagined it. Because I've already done the imagining. Yeah, for me, that's a testament to how good, actually, how good a lot of these adaptations are, right? Because, I mean, I, I did read um, a, a lot of A Song of Ice and Fire before I watched it, but then but then those those characters kind of impose themselves on you anyway. So, same with Lord of the Rings. I mean, I, when I think of Aragorn, I just picture Viggo Mortensen now. It's, yes. Because he's excellent. Uh, yeah. I guess one last thing that we were going to talk about. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, just before we move on, I completely agree. Uh, I think the the importance of casting. So Harry Potter is the same. Almost every character in Harry Potter, I picture their actor. Harry Potter's a weird one for me. I sort of picture the actors, but but changed. <laughs> Taken to a little extreme. Yeah, because yeah, because there there are there, there is a lot of differences between some of the characters and, and the actors in Harry Potter. Right? That's true. So, so Harry, I, I do sort of picture Daniel Radcliffe, but uh, with the hair being much wilder. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of that. Like, Actually, it's, it's maybe the hair for all Her, Hermione's hair, um, Ron's hair, like Ron's hair, and Ron's hair are nowhere well. near red enough. <laughs> They're not red enough, and Ron isn't like lanky and gangly enough. Yeah, but uh, Rupert, that's a gamble, Rupert, right? When you when you cast an actor, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, and they they did very well casting eleven year olds who who became Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and they yeah. did that very well. Yeah, but yeah, Rupert Grint is a very broad man to be described as a lanky, <laughs> <laughs> lanky ginger. Um, last last one that we've got on our list, which is quite interesting, and so video game adaptations i'd include the witcher netflix witcher tv series in this we were originally going to talk about witcher versus wheel of time but i think it's it's broader than that making video game films the obvious ones that spring to mind for that are tomb raider films yes or the assassin's creed film i don't know if you've either i have seen um, the assassin's creed film um it's, it's just awful it's so bad. It's fast bender in a bad film, which I don't, I didn't think was possible. And and I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there again. It's it's fast bender in a film. The film is just bad. The original Tomb Raiders, or even the newer one, which is probably a little better actually, but it's Angelina Jolie or Alicia Vikander, and again they're just bad films. Yeah, I quite liked the more modern Tomb Raider. The Angelina Jolie ones are just bad. They're just bad. But why are they so bad? <laughs> I don't know. They're making a um 
a God of War film. That's going to be bad. It's going to be bad, isn't it? Guarantee it. Um, other should... examples that, that you may not have seen, but that are absolute classics in my mind, the Tekken film and the Mortal Kombat film. Uh, Super, Super Mario Brothers. Just, just have you seen the Super Mario films. Brothers film? <laughs> have you seen Super Mario Brothers where they're... Um, the big bad turns out to be a T Rex. I have not. That's amazing. It's so good. You should go. You should go and watch it. It's it's unbelievably amazing. The this isn't really a spoiler. Well, it probably is, but the, the 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 big bad's plot is to develop a de evolution laser. Amazing to essentially turn humanity back into pro magnum man. The Super Mario Brothers, who are genuinely just Italian-American plumbers from New York, turn the laser on the big bad, but it turns out that his ancestors weren't Cro-Magnum man, they were a T-Rex. <laughs> how do you... How... Wow. I mean, the film is awful, but also amazing. I, I think with video game to film adaptations, if the studios just go... You know, only the geeks are going to watch this, so we're going to get their money anyway. We don't actually need to bother making a yeah. good film. Uh, the Warcraft really film? Uh, never seen that actually. That's disappointing because it it has all of the. I'm going to get this wrong. It feels like it has all the constituent parts of a decent fantasy romp, and they just put them together in the wrong order and left out a crucial piece like the glue. Amazing. It's just weird and bad. And it's got Travis Fimmel from Vikings in it as the lead, and everyone else has like a cut glass British accent, except for him. And it doesn't make sense because he's meant to be from the same country as all of them. Amazing. It's just it's just weird that they can't make any good. I don't understand that. Have you seen the, the Uncharted film? I haven't, although you haven't said it was good. I actually really like that as a film. Yeah. And I didn't hate the adaptation at all. So so maybe maybe we've turned a corner. Maybe. I hold out hope for God of War because that has the potential to be sort of an excellent cinematic epic. Yeah, right. it's going to be shit. But it's just going to be <laughs> crap. It's just going to be shit because they're going to try and make the Blades of Chaos work and they're not going to work and they're not going to be able to get the sort of self-loathing that Kratos needs. And they'll just cast the wrong person, or they'll cast the right person, and they'll just do it badly. Yeah, and they, or they'll it relies cast, on CGI a lot, right? To, to does get those gods. rely on a lot of CGI, or they'll cast Dwayne Johnson, and it'll be flawless. As much as I love Dwayne Johnson and everything, he is not Kratos. <laughs> he's too, he's too, he's too smiley. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, you mentioned The Witcher. The Witcher, I think, is a very interesting one, right? Because that's a book series turned into a game series, yes. turned into a TV series. And quite honestly, I would not want to be the people in charge of making a TV show because you're never going to please you know, fans of the books and the, the games. I th- They've stuck to the books mostly, haven't they? I've not read the books. They're not really sticking to anything. <laughs> Fair enough. I think it's you can almost tell that they they're not really sure, okay, what, what to do. So so yeah, I think they're more aligned with the books for sure. But 
Mm. Mm. <laughs> the, ben- the benefit of The Witcher is, I guess, Geralt's job and background and all of that lends itself to a sort of supernatural-esque monster of the week. Geralt turns up in village. There's a monster. Geralt has an adventure and kills the monster. Rinse and repeat. And Henry Cavill oozes charisma, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. In that video, it worked 100%. Uh, but then they're like, oh, yeah, but we should also include Siri and we should also include Yennefer and we should also make yeah. it into the saga that the book's covered. And then they're like, oh, yeah, but we've lost the episodic monster bashing now. But that was always what made Supernatural bad. Or not bad. Less good. Was when it tried to go into that overarching story rather than let's just have two charismatic actors take out monsters every week. Yeah. And well, I mean, that's, that's always a difficult thing to do, right? Cause even, even shows like um, Buffy, I think so much yeah. of it is just the week on week yeah. thing. And then, and then the, the sort of overarching plot rumbles in the background. And then you have a end of season finale. That's seldom as good as just the random episodes in the exactly. season. We should really do a Buffy we should do. or a Supernatural episode for that. Oh, I'm I'm re- I'm starting to rewatch Supernatural, and it's just so overwhelming. There's so much of it. I think a lot of it. That's what scares me about it as well. Yeah, I think I think I'm going to watch like maybe the first four or five seasons of Supernatural, and then I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to get off the train. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if I'm right in remembering that Supernatural, the big bad, escalates through the first like four or five seasons till you get to Lucifer. And once you've once you've done Lucifer, stop going bigger. Just stop. So I'll, that's when I'm going to get off. Uh, maybe, maybe what we should do is you, so you watch until that point. I'll jump in after that point. That'd be really I'll, funny. I'll, I'll tell you what I think happened to get <laughs> to that point. <laughs> That'd be very very funny. Um, so just conscious that we've been rambling for a long time again. To pull it back to Rings of Power, having had this discussion. What do they need to do to make a good adaptation of the appendices to the Lord of the Rings? I think if you I'll, make it visually very appealing, yes, a la Wheel of Time, it, you know, it looks great. A la Lord of the Rings, looks fantastic. Yeah, you can forgive a multitude of sins, and then just make interesting characters that actually have story arcs that are coherent. Yeah, and stick with it so make a good tv series make a good tv series i think i think that i think that is actually the takeaway though like i was being slightly facetious there but i think the takeaway is it'll be good if it's good the fact yeah, that, but, uh, that, the that fact is 100 percent the conclusion yeah the fact that it's got the lord of the rings or the talking stamp on it doesn't change the basic calculation of did you make a good tv series or not and if you did make a good tv series well done, you made a good Lord of the Rings TV series. You're going to print money now. And if you made a bad one, you made a bad Lord of the Rings TV series and people will shout at you for the rest of your life. So maybe it's just that the stakes are higher. Oh, well, I think I think that's right. But but you just go in making, you know, ultimately trying to make a good piece yeah. of entertainment. With the um, benefit that someone's done all of the world building. All the legwork. For you, and you've got a pre-made audience. You got a pre-made audience. Well, that that that's possibly a double-edged sword. Yes, that is. Yeah, exactly. But I think just yeah, just just go with it. And then like like um, 
Jackson did. You know, if you think, why not have elves at Helm's Deep? It's it's a rogue choice, but it works in the context of the film. It does, yeah. It, I know a lot of people hate it, but it, I it, think it works. I think, I think it's it, perfect um, cinema. I think it works. I think it damages the Rohirrim slightly because the benefit, the point of Helm's Deep is that the Rohirrim throw back Saruman on his own, on their own at yeah. the end. But I like the idea that the elves are reminded that they are part of this world. It's the same you're part of this world speech that Merry gives to Treebeard. Um, I think. I think that, that's like yeah. a theme that's running through two tires. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a way of sort of doing um, Eladan and Elra here. When they it is also the way Rangers, of doing Eladan um, and Elra here. That's very so true. Like, I hadn't thought about that. Um, you know, it's 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 like we, we you know they kind of did it, but did it differently. And I think I think it works. So, so just you know, as you say, make I, good content yeah. like expertise is overrated, Absolutely. and then you'll be fine. I've just been reminded. I don't really want to talk about it because it hurts. But I've just been reminded of another bad adaptation. Um, looking over at my bookshelf, Do, are you familiar with Terry Goodkind's The Sword of Truth series? No. Right. Don't read it because I read it as a kid and went, ooh, this is really cool. And then if you go back and read it as an adult, you realize that Terry Goodkind worships at the altar of Anne Rand and it's quite unpleasant. <laughs> um, it's like Atlas Shrugged in a fantasy world. It's off. It's genuinely horrendous. But I think sci-fi made a adaptation called The Legend of the Seeker and oh my god, is it bad. And it, <laughs> it's so bad. And it's bad because you get the sense that the people... It comes back to what we were saying earlier. It's just restating this point with, with another media. But the people making the series didn't either didn't know or didn't care enough about the source material. So they went, oh, we've got some ready-made characters. Let's just throw them into weekly adventures a la Xena. It's very like Xena in its sort of episodic nature. But it's just so... It's not the characters from from the series, which is, in a way, good, because the characters from the series are awful. But, yeah, don't do that. Okay, so I, I won't. Don't, don't, don't read it, don't watch it. Just bad. I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember, but one, one... Sort of the opposite of that, I think... Uh, in terms of adaptations where they've kind of thrown the source material out the window is the Bourne trilogy. I don't know the books. The books the books are excellent, don't get me wrong, but they cover a completely different plot altogether. Um, yeah. Compared to films. And those films are arguably the best action films ever made. So, well wow. I, I'm sticking to that. I don't have an instant... Rebuttal. So we'll just leave that one lying. <laughs> Maybe we'll come back to that <laughs> at some point. Uh, and perhaps on that um, born-shaped bombshell, um, we should end. And so, yes. thank you so much for listening to this episode of Expertise is Overrated. Uh, no doubt we've said some things that were either objectively wrong or downright offensive. As ever, Feel free to let us know, uh, rate the podcast, and leave us a comment or drop us an email at expertiseisoverrated at gmail.com. Tweet us at zero expertise. Check out our website, expertiseisoverrated.podbean.com, or come join us on our Discord server.
If you're lucky, we might just argue with you in one of our upcoming episodes. And if you're really lucky, we might call you an idiot. Now, as ever, we'll be back in two weeks' time where we'll be revisiting our old forte, making lists. So join us as we rank the top 10 duelists in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. Join us then for more nonsense.